I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is uh, really exciting because I've wanted to do an episode all about OT, which stands for occupational therapy, for at least the last like two years. And finally, we're here. We're doing it. We're doing it with our friend Amelia, who is a, a brand new OT. And on top of that, it is OT month. I don't know if it's OT month. It actually is. It's Canadian OT month. Canadian <laughs> yeah. OT month. Just a little, just a little bit closer than that, Mike. Yeah, there you go. And uh, and um, I don't know if that's because it's October. But I'm gonna look into this. Yeah, please look into up. that. Wait, why? Why would that? It's not like an alliteration. OT October. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <clears throat> I mean, but if there was a month to choose, it would be October. It would be October. Yeah, October. October. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um. Uh. So I guess what we'll how we can kick this off because before we were before we started recording, we were like. Amelia, you were asking what we thought OTs did. And I know a little bit about the uh, occupational therapist. You got a mixed bag. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Brian knows a little bit. Tay knows a little bit. But I don't think we really grasp what it is that OTs do. And I know that it's pretty vast. Mm-hmm. So um, in your own words, w- w- who are OTs and what do they do? So I do want to like preface this conversation by saying that occupational therapy is a lot more than helping people go back to work. So a lot of people hear the word occupation and they're like, oh my God, you help people find jobs. You help people get back to work. And that is, that's true. Um, but I think to like owe it to the profession, I do want to talk about all of the other cool things we can do. So in a general sense, and I'll use the fancy words and then we'll talk about it in a second, but we help people who are experiencing occupational performance issues due to the factors of health, including physical, psychological, neurological, and social, engage in occupations. So mm-hmm. occupations are just the things we do every day. It's brushing our teeth. It's playing with donut. It's driving your bike to come do the podcast. It's going to work, taking your kids to soccer, playing soccer. It's everything. Mm. So we help people who are experiencing healthcare conditions that have kind of altered their level of function or their way of doing things do. Right. So we help mm. people do and belong. I wrote a book last year that talked about how we have to challenge the profession to kind of look at rather than maximizing people's opportunity or sorry, not maximizing opportunities, rather than maximizing um, people's abilities and looking how we can limit impairment. Everybody has abilities. So how can we create opportunity for people to do and belong? Because mm. mm. when we can do and belong, we feel good. And how mm. do you and how do you I feel like um, the the thing that's in my head whenever I think of occupational therapist or OT is I also think of physical therapists and PT. Yeah. And in the same way that like people often 
have, you know, confused or jumbled um, perceptions or understandings of like what a psychologist is versus a psychiatrist or an uh, optometrist versus an ophthalmologist, which we just learned the other day. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, like, w- so where, where, how, like, how intertwined are those two professions and where is the line that like kind of differentiates? Okay. So we work really closely with all allied healthcare professionals. So multidisciplinary care is something that's really important to us and focusing on, you know, our scope. So like your scope of practice, it doesn't vary, but it does vary based on where you work. So I work in private practice, but if you worked in a hospital, um, you might be like making splints, you might be doing cognitive assessments, you might be doing discharge planning after somebody's had surgery or an accident, Mm. um, and doing more physical, cognitive, um, neurological-based things. You could be working in like mental health and addictions. One of the placements I did in school is with Nova Scotia Health Mental Health and Addictions. So you could be doing like more talk-based therapy, goal setting, addressing behaviors. You could be doing, oh my gosh, like somebody has a concussion and they're getting ready to go back to school or back to work or back to playing football, but they've got, you know, fatigue, headaches. How can we help them manage their symptoms to get back to what they're doing? How can we help somebody who's, um, how can we help somebody who's sustained a hand injury more effectively brush their teeth independently and safely? How can we help them prepare meals? And our scope is occupation focused. So again, if we're focusing on the activities, like we don't prescribe exercise like a physio might, and we don't, we can't diagnose, we don't do anything with medications, but we can support people in medication management. So if somebody's having um, maybe an aging adult with Alzheimer's or dementia, we can work with them on strategies to take their medications more regularly. And mm-hmm. like consult their pharmacist, consult their doctor. How can we all work together mm-hmm. so that they can do? Mm-hmm. It seems do. crazy why. Like it seems yeah. so <laughs> like there's so much in this in the under the umbrella. Like yeah, how, so. how do you how do you <laughs> like like like, the, like you just described so many things that I'm like, holy shit, that's wild See, that I, it's all in there. I've I've like thought what my like very layperson's um definition of of occupational therapy was before was a problem solver. Yeah. We are <laughs> like, problem solvers. You just help people so do the things that they want to do that make them happy. And which kind of brings me to an, an interesting thing that I hadn't thought of until you started describing some of the jobs that you do. Um, it sounds like mental health is a massive, mm-hmm. massive component. And like, I was thinking of this more in like the physical therapist type of like um, from, from that sort of perspective where I was thinking of, Oh, you help people do these things, but then I was thinking of like the well, why, why does it help to have these people do these things? And obviously, like these are, you know, the occupations that we we do in our lives, the things that we do in our lives, are the things that you know make us happy. Yeah. So how like how does the mental health side of things play into the the role of an occupational therapist? So think about if you couldn't do something that you wanted to do or that you wanted to do, not even that you had to do, but that you wanted to do. So Mm -hmm. something that brings meaning to your life, something that brings joy, something that brings purpose or a sense of accomplishment. Think about how it would feel if something happened that you weren't able to, or, you know, you've had a condition your whole life that's limited you from doing the things you want to do. It wouldn't feel great. It would suck. You'd feel excluded. (laughs) You might become isolated. You might, you know, develop symptoms of depression. You might develop symptoms of anxiety about thinking about transitioning back to, you know, I've had an accident or I've, I've gotten cancer and now I need to go back to work. And, you know, I'm not sure how I'm going to talk to people about it. I don't, I don't know Mm. how I want people. I don't know how much I want people to know about my life. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do these things like I did before. So we would do some goal setting. We would talk about, you know, 
challenging your thoughts about those things. Like there is like some OTs are licensed in CBT therapy, which have you guys like mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, some OTs are licensed in DBT, so dialectical behavioral therapy, which is more um, geared towards uh, personality disorders. Yeah. Um, some OTs are, I think it depends on the province you're in too. So I'm licensed in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, but what I'm allowed to do under my license is different in Ontario, is different in BC. So some are, I believe in some provinces you actually are able to be like a registered psychotherapist or a counselor. Um, I can't call myself a counselor here, but I can work on mental health and addressing the like psychosocial or emotional things that might be keeping somebody from doing right. something. Yeah, it sounds like a it fits sort of in the middle of a bunch of yeah. different specialties and it's like sort of an ability to have a more holistic perspective on yep. all of these different facets so of we're, recovery. We're trained in like the social factors of health. So you know, how do our cultures, how do our, how does our race, how does our socioeconomic status influence our health? We're trained in mm. the neuro neurological factors. Like if we sustain a brain injury, if we have a stroke, if we have MS, how does that affect our abilities to do things? We're trained in the physical side of things. So, you know, we break our leg. How do we, how do we go about doing something until our leg heals? Now being trained in all these things, is it like, so you, you just recently finished school. Yep. You're like I said earlier, like a, a, a new OT. When you are coming up to like the completion of your, your education, your training as an OT, do you, is it, is it sort of like a, like, like a physician that goes to school where you kind of get this, um, you kind of get all these tools given to you, You're really but then, broad. but then, but then as you start to like come to the, the end of your education, you, you choose a specialty in which you want to focus. Sort of. So when we graduate, we're like at an entry to practice level and we're general practitioners. So we've been given kind of this really broad skill set and you do do a thousand hours of fieldwork placement. So you can kind of pick and choose, you know, like I'd like to I'd like to work at the stroke unit at the hospital or like I'd really like to work at the Nova Scotia rehab or any you can kind of go anywhere in the Maritimes. You know, I, I want to work in the IWK. I'd like to work in industrial health and kind of start picking and choosing where you'd like to right. maybe have an opportunity to learn more from a preceptor, which is somebody who's been an OT for a while, um, and tailor it that way. Or, you know, there's people who come into the program. Like I worked for four or five years before I came back to school and I had a really solid idea of, I really like working kind of in like the, the disability management and kind of the, how can we, the importance of work to health and you know, why is getting back to work important and dealing with mental health and things like that. So I kind of tried to gear my learning towards those things while still broadening out a little bit because you never know. Mm, yeah. What was your work? You, you came, you, what, what was your background before OT? I, so I have education. a kin degree. Yeah. Okay. I have a kin degree. And then I did a diploma in disability management here at, or certificate, I guess it's called in disability management here at Dell. Um, and then I did I did that while I was working. So it was a really informative way to kind of see how that education can actually make a difference on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, I did a little bit of work in like industrial healthcare. I did a little bit of work in ergonomics. I did some work in like disability management and program coordination for people who are on long-term disability and then decided I wanted to be an OT. <laughs> Tell me about ergonomics. Like I, it's something that I feel like. Are these chairs ergonomic? No, but they're comfy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. I know that's what I feel like. Every time I every time I sit in this chair for a long time and I realize how far forward my neck is, I'm like, yeah, mm, yeah, mm, dude, yeah. I wonder. Yeah. But like, like ergonomics is something that like I feel like when um, I remember taking uh, 
maybe it was a typing class in junior high. What was it called? I typing. Oh, no, it wasn't uh, called typing. It was called no. uh, AIT or something AIT, like that. Yeah. yeah. Access to information technology. Yeah, there you yes. go. Yeah, that was in high school. And I remember, and I just remember someone talking about ergonomics and was like, how you sit and how your wrist is. And I was like, fuck <laughs> off. And to optimize. Yeah. Your and I, you know, that's like a 16 year old being told that you need to do this a certain way. And you're yeah. like, my body's literally invincible at the time. And, um, and so I, I, but then as I grow up, I think about ergonomics like all the time. I mean, I, I started practicing yoga and I'm like, Oh my yeah. God, your posture is like so important. And mm -hmm. like, you're constantly building habits of that, that will, that, you know, will impact your life over time. And ergonomics, you know, they make so much more sense to me now. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, just tell me like about, like, give me the overview of ergonomics and like how important and like where they show up in our lives that are important that like people might not think about. Yeah. So like loose textbook definition is how we interact with our environment and how our environment environment interacts with us and kind of fitting. So we often think about it in terms of work. So it's about fitting the job to the person and not the other way around. So how can we create an environment and something that I think is really important that we don't always think about is how can we also create a psychologically safe environment, not just a physically safe environment. Um, so ergonomics, like I think a lot of people also think about the computer station. Yeah. So mm -hmm. sitting over here, you have yeah. your two screens, you have your mm -hmm. fancy keyboard, your mouse. All of those are important. Yeah. Brian, you're making um, me feel uncomfortable. Just <laughs> yeah, you look I, like I, you're ready to I'm pass. not even <laughs> looking at Brian. I'm looking at you, Amelia, but I can see in the, in the peripheral vision. <laughs> How hard Brian is yeah. working yeah. on his ergonomics. As, as soon as, honestly, as soon as we start talking about ergonomics, I think of like my posture, and and it makes me feel like I. Here's I an bet, idea, Brian. I bet people Stop are listening. Stop puffing your chest out, dude. I bet. No, it's Wait, because my relax shoulders, your shoulders are so rounded. Relax forward. your shoulders. They're so puffed. So rounded forward. I so gotta, we want a neutral I gotta, posture. I gotta, I gotta, yeah. I wanna, this I is not neutral, dude. This feels better for me. This is power position. You literally I look feel. like your chest is about to explode. Yeah, I know because I was doing some push-ups this morning. The same. Like I'm feeling. You're feeling. The power position. I've, I as yeah. soon as I when makes you me feel good. Yeah. Makes yeah. me feel like elbows back like that. Feel confident. When you shove your strong. elbows back yeah. like that. I feel like I automatically know more about ergonomics now. When I <laughs> yeah. Say, yeah, your neck's yeah. gonna hurt tonight. Yeah. <laughs> so those would be our biomechanics. So the things that we have control over within our body are like our our biomechanics, our posture. And when you do like, let's say I was doing an ergonomic assessment, I would look at the way that somebody's posture, the frequency at which they're doing things, and the impact that they experience, and like how that could like a physical one how that could impact musculoskeletal mm. injuries. So sustained awkward postures are not good for us. See, we're humans. We're meant to move. I would be remiss if I didn't tell That's you guys a little posture. story about my, uh, <laughs> my my friend Don Swift right now. This looks way better. <laughs> yeah, you look I more feel, comfortable. Feel good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I still yeah. feel strong. Keep your yeah. back against the back of the seat. Yes, you should um, feel it in the small of your back. There was, a, there was this guy, when when Taylor and I went to BC in, in 2010, uh, I was we were staying in a, in a, like the rainforest area in, in Mission, BC, and I was out running in front of the house one day. Oh, this fucking guy. This guy um, parked his car in his driveway across the street. And it was this long winding driveway. And he started walking down it, like coming towards me as I was running hills in front of his house. And he came down. He was like, can I give you some pointers on technique? And he was like 80 years old. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And uh, so he started like telling me about how I was running. You're like and, 20 uh, years old, 20 or 21 at the time. Yeah. And I was very like like whatever i don't have time for you and he was like i can i can teach you some lessons if you want to come running with me i'll take you into the mountains and i was like all right sure so the next day he took me on like a three-hour car drive i told taylor and, and my brother that i was like, going your like, location are you, are you, like is this <laughs> yeah. guy gonna kill you yeah 
I went. Unfortunately, running. sharing location wasn't yet, <laughs> oh, yet wasn't <laughs> wasn't yet invented. iPhones it, were just on the upswing. This is actually it was actually one of the craziest days of my entire life. He he drove like we drove like three hours into the mountains, and then we went for a four-hour run in the mountains. He was eighty-two years old. He told me that his name was Don Swift. He used to coach running back in like high school. But he was also an engineer, and he he pioneered something he called bioactive running, and it was so funny. We were running in the, in the woods, and he was like navigating the terrain in this really like interesting way, where he was like like lowering his knees down, but he was keeping his head really level, like he was absorbing the like impact a chicken. as he went along. And we would run through a yeah. section of the woods, and then he'd stop and he'd go, "See what you did back there?" And I was like, "No, I don't." And he was like, "Come back." And so we'd go back to the area. We'd rerun it, and he would show me how to navigate the terrain. And so, anyway, we, like he was eighty-two years old, and he was so like he was running so <laughs> smoothly through the woods. And then he, he yeah, the white Taylor's running around the studio right now. And so, and he was just like absorbing the ground. So we got back to his house after like me being gone for like almost ten hours. I think the guys thought I died. And he starts but, draping clear plastic <laughs> sheets around the He's still the here today, Brian. He's like, no, 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 just sit down, sit down, and don't look at me. And uh, so anyway, he 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 was Cold like, "Can I show you one table. more thing before before I let you go?" And I was like, "Let me go, like I was a prisoner." <laughs> and so I have Stockholm syndrome, you guys, and that's what this episode's about. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, he was like, "One second, and he goes into his garage and he pulls out these moon boots, and he was like, "Look." He was like, Brian. What do you mean by moon boot? Like, so they're like the boot. these like, like the plastic the... like boots that go around your feet that have like elastics used, on them, so I, they like bounce. Used, yeah, me and my like, sister you had them. We yeah. used to play with yeah. them in the in the driveway, like right. sort of trampolines on his feet. And yeah. so he was like, "Watch this." He was like, "Look, I'm 82 years old, and watch me go." And he put these things on, and he was bouncing around his driveway, <laughs> up and down. His knees are just like going, and he was like, "Look, 82 years old." bioactive running changed my life. And I was like, I believe you. And now every time I go for a run through the woods, just like a gazelle, just <laughs> absorb in the ground as I go. So I how much know. of that resonates with you? Well, I was trying to think the whole time, like how I can link this into, <laughs> but it is like paying attention to our postures, how we're working. Um, and regardless of what we're doing. So we could be cross stitching. We could be working in a factory. We could be bioactive running, bioactive running. We could be <laughs> having a conversation on a podcast. It's all about like paying attention to the things you can control and then making accommodations with the environment around us. So I always challenge people to when you to try to kind of create awareness about our profession and like what we do, challenge yourself to think outside the box for a second. So a desk isn't the only place that we need to have good ergonomics. What mm. if you like I said, what if you work in a factory? And what if what you're doing all day, every day is screwing the lid on jam jars mm -hmm. all day, every day? That opens you up to like a wide array of repetitive stress injuries. Mm. How does that impact your life outside of work? Mm. It, you yeah, probably might not be able to go home and cross stitch. You're a professional like, table tennis player, but you also work in a gym right. factory. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, like are you going to lose your ability to play yeah. te table tennis? So how can we <laughs> yeah. like change the environment and the environment could be changed behaviorally? So, you know, we take breaks. We schedule breaks. We shift the kind of work you're doing. Like maybe after an hour, maybe I wouldn't recommend an hour, but maybe after, you know, like half an hour, 20 minutes, you then go to be the person who puts the labels on the jam jar or you be the person who lifts the box. How can we switch up what we're doing all day, every day to take that repetitive stress away? Mm -hmm. Would there be, would there be OTs that work in like a consultant role with yeah. companies to, to, so if a company is like, Hey, you know, you know, Sharon, just screws lids all day. And then the OT might come in and go yeah. like, Hey, why don't you actually get like these five things that need to be done and have like the team be switching that up so that you 
they're not breaking their bodies down in the same way. So the thing that I love most about OT is the kind of OT that I work in is I get to see, I love seeing what other people do all day. It could be riding the city bus, driving the city bus. It could be working in a toilet paper factory. It could be um, being a teacher. It could be like anything. What do people do all day? Mm -hmm. There's a kid's storybook called What Do People Do All Day by Richard Scarry. And I feel like that's that's what being an OT is. What other people do all day. Um, So like you go into other people's workplaces and you go into other people's Mm. homes and you look and you say like, okay, let's see how you're doing things right now. How can we change it so that it's more comfortable, so that it's safer, so that we're maximizing your efficiency, we're maximizing your productivity at home or at work or when you're at a leisure activity. How can we work with the environment around us? Are there things that we can change with what we have? Do we have to recommend something? So recommendations that I would make would be anything from like specialized medical equipment, like a raised toilet seat or a walker, but it could be this person has a neurological condition and they have a lot of fatigue and brushing their teeth just really poops them out. Electric toothbrush. Mm. Anybody can go buy an electric toothbrush, Mm -hmm. but, and it's, you know, 20 bucks, not an expensive recommendation, but it makes a really big difference in that person's mm, life. Right. I honestly think I missed my calling in life. Yeah. I think it just sounds like... I really want people to hear this and be like, wow, I want to be an OT. I mean, <laughs> it, it, does, it does sound like a very exciting job that, that offers like quite a broad range of experiences. You know? Yeah. yeah. What are I slash ADLs? So ADLs and IADLs. ADLs are activities of daily living. Those are the things that we need and want to do all day. Brushing your teeth, getting dressed, using the bathroom, making the bed, uh, eating self-care stuff, kind of mm. like the things that we need to do to get out the door right. in the morning or get up or take care of ourselves. IADLs are instrumental activities of daily living. Those are things like household management, paying bills, doing the laundry, meal prep, grocery shopping, um, uh, community mobility, like taking the bus, riding your bike. Mm. Those kind of, so like how we kind of, the it's like the next level up of the things that we need to do all day to take care of ourselves and the people around us. Right. So, they can kind of be broken into three, like ADLs can be broken into three main three main areas. So we have self-care, productivity, and leisure. Self-care are the things that we need to do, brushing your teeth, showering, those kind of things. Productivity <laughs> could be like going to school, could be volunteering, could be going to work. And leisure activities are the things we do for fun that bring joy and meaning to our lives. They bring enjoyment. It's another form of self-care. There's a lot of gray in between mm. all of those. Um, and as an OT, we would look at kind of the person, the occupation, and the environment, and how all of those things interact to be able to engage in all of those activities. Mm. It, it feels like <laughs> everything you've said so far, it, like I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm going, why? It seems like everyone needs an OT. I was, yeah. say, like, I was just about to say, do you have to be sick? To yeah, like, no. the so, like, because I'm like, I want somebody to come we and need follow an me around. I'm we need so an excited OT for, for the office. <laughs> to optimize yeah. my life. Help me optimize yeah. my life. Yeah. So one of the things that like an area that I'm really passionate about and an area that like I would like to grow within the profession and that I hope to work in until the day I retire is kind of increasing access to care and increasing awareness. A lot of people don't have coverage for OT. Most private health plans, you have physio, you have speech language pathology, you have literally everybody under the sun but OT. And and why? Like we're a proactive, mm. we, we are proactive healthcare. We can help people mitigate things before they happen. We can help manage current conditions from, you know, decreasing our level of function. Do you know the but, answer to that? Like why? No, not yet. You know what? And, I think it's just that, because is, no, a lot of people don't know who we are and what we do and our profession right. has grown. Like our profession's not that old. So I 
I bought myself a treat for OT month and it was a really nerdy book called um, Something the Spirit. And it's about the history of OT in Canada. And kind of like the nutshell version of this is that after the war, there were a lot of people who were coming back from overseas whose level of function had changed. You know, maybe their mental health had changed because they'd, they'd you know, observed or been part of some very traumatic things. Maybe they had an injury and their leg was amputated and they could no longer do the things. They could no longer go back <laughs> to their job or take care of their farm or do all of those things. Mm -hmm. so, restoring the spirit. Restoring the spirit, yes. Tracing the influence of Maybe popular good. political and social movements of the time, including the mental hygiene, arts and crafts, and settlement house movements. Judith, Judith Freeland tells the stories of pioneering women in the field and describes how they established professional associations, workshops, and educational programs. Man, I'm going to start calling you young Jeremy. I'm just saying, <laughs> pull that up, Jeremy. Pull up, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, it's, like, it is, is, do you know if there's other, I mean, so we're, you know, we're, we're talking from like a Canadian lens, but do you know if there's other places in the world where they recognize OT as, as a, as the, as the valuable resource that it is and include it in their healthcare? It's always included in like primary healthcare. So like the, the healthcare, it's not primary, sorry, like acute care, the care we access at a hospital after, like if you have any type of surgery, typically any type of accident, the QE2 or the infirmary or the Nova Scotia rehab or the IWK, that's where you can get into COTs and they mm. might help you, you know, transition home. What's the equipment we need? What services and resources do you have in place to get home safely? Mm -hmm. How can we help you get those? Maybe you're not quite ready yet. Maybe we have to work on some more things here at the rehab or at mm -hmm. the hospital. I um, Keep going, sorry. Yeah, and I was going to say that in a lot of other places, it's just I don't think it's really well known yet that we work pervasively in the community everywhere. Like we can mm. work in schools, we can work in industry and in workplaces, we can work on our own and be contracted into all of those yeah, places. I had no idea. Yeah. Like, like yeah, I either. literally was coming into this conversation with the notion that OTs were specifically found within the context of like, Rehab or like within the hospital. Nope. Yeah, me so too. In and South so this is like, this is blowing my fucking yeah. mind wide open. In South Africa, I believe it's South Africa. South Africa, I'd have to look that up. But there's kind of a movement called social OT. And it's looking at like, how can we, how can we create more inclusive communities and like look more at the social factors of health mm. to promote belonging? Mm. I, I, have a, I have a great um, idea, guys. Hear me out. <laughs> All right. But, so I was thinking... That wouldn't it be great if insurance companies, when you if you signed up for like a life insurance plan, they just like gave you like they paid for you to see an OT that would come and like help you like either just follow you around for a day or whatever, or like meet with you for an hour and hear about your day. And then they would sort of like suggest some ways that you could, you know, optimize Live your life. Live more safely and efficiently and happily. And then wouldn't the it would it would probably benefit the insurance company because I think it would reduce the likelihood yeah. for them to you know, need to file an insurance claim for something. Right. So yeah. we can do and things. It helps oh, go people ahead. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we could be reducing people's falls risks. We could be mm. reducing people's um, ability to like relapse back into certain health conditions or like levels of function. We could be addressing, again, like I said, like we're addressing kind of everything everywhere because what we do is we mm. focus on occupation and occupation is everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to your idea, Bri, the only, re the reason why that, is that that seems very logical, right? Unfortunately, the way that insurance companies make money is by investing their their free cash. So they so insurance companies aren't are unfortunately not that uh, uh, bummed out when they have to pay out insurance claims. 
because they've made more because, money investing your money because than- the premiums and the insurance claims are basically a wash and the insurance company makes their profits from investments. So yeah. it's a, so it's a, so in that way, in that way, I, cause I agree with you, right? Like you would want to invest money in things that are going to make it less likely that the insurance company has to pay out a claim on a health, a health insurance on life insurance on that and make the world a better dis- place. Disability. <laughs> yeah. Well that, and that's, yeah. And that's, that's the part. I feel of like that Brian I, and I operate on the same level of like yeah. sunshine and rainbows. Most yeah. of the time. Yeah. I think Unfortunately, so, yeah. dude, I would love, dude, it wouldn't it be so great if insurance companies operated on making the world a better place? <laughs> like there's gotta be somebody who runs an insurance company who's like, okay, listen, this is a great money making business, but we could also be good human beings. Warren Buffett's time. Warren Buffett's that is that. Yeah. 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 I don't know anything about that guy. Can we can we <laughs> talk a little bit about like the the responsibility of employers and organizations to foster good health and, and well being? Yeah. So I think that's one way. So like we've realized that not everybody has access to OT service. And if you're gonna access it in the public healthcare system, there's often very long wait lists, like you see with most things. Um So how can we create programming? Like I like to look at things from a community development framework and that can include in my mind, that can include how we, how we create programming at work, regardless of what we do. So how, how can employers, I think that work is hugely linked to who we are. It's a really, really big piece of our identity. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe we don't like our job. Maybe we're not happy in our job. Maybe we love our job and we like have a spring in our step every day when we go to work, but regardless of how we experience work, work is a very big part of who we are because it helps us meet a lot of our basic needs. Yeah. Mm. It, I, I mean, if it makes you miserable, then yeah, it's like, that's what makes you, mi- yeah. that's why you're miserable. And think <laughs> about like, I think this is, I know we've been talking about COVID for a really long time, but think about COVID. Think about how a lot of people's lives and mental health changed when they didn't have that thing they were used to getting out of bed mm. every day to go do. Totally. Suddenly your reason to get up in the morning and get showered and get on the bus and like go socialize and be around other people and mm-hmm. find something that gives you a sense of accomplishment changed. Yeah. So that's something that I think universally a lot of people experienced. Um, and because of that, I think now that we know that too, I think employers and organizations have a huge responsibility to make workplaces a healthy, happy place to be mm-hmm. because we realized through the pandemic that if people are accommodated, I mean, I, this is something that's been realized through a lot of other things too, but I think it's like more on the forefront now that if people are accommodated to do work, you know, when they feel like they're most productive in a way that provides balance with their life outside of work mm-hmm. in a way, you know, that they're kind of maximizing being a good human and feeling like a good human, you're going to get better work done. Yeah. People are going to be more productive and people are more, most importantly, what I care about, people are going to be ha- healthy, healthier and happier. And because it's like a, it's a cycle. Yeah. So employers, there's tons of ways people can do it. Like youth ergonomics programs. How can we make work physically safe? How can mm. we provide people with, you know, a physically safe environment where the risk of injury is low? Yeah. How can we provide people with a psychologically safe environment where, you know, we're not, there's some jobs that, that come with trauma. So, you know, people who are first responders, yeah. we can't avoid seeing traumatic things and trauma is very subjective. So mm-hmm. what's traumatic to one person might not be traumatic to another, mm-hmm. but you know, taking a level down from that, how, how can we create workplaces where people just feel safe to say, I'm having a bad day or I'm not, I'm not sure how to do this or mm-hmm. I need to take a break. I have a lot going on in my life right now um, and I, I just need to be supported. I'd like to be able to work from home a few days a week. How can we accommodate people to yeah. do these things? Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. 
Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. And going back to what you said about social, uh, the the what is happening in South Africa with social OT, like the the way in which the pandemic has, you know, taken away that that sense, you know, that 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 um, motivator to do a lot of the things that we had as you know everyday habits of yeah. getting up and getting ready to go out into the world. Yep. And now we're seeing so so much uh like a, a a massive lack of of um of like confidence in going back out into the yeah. world yeah. as yeah. things come yeah. back you know like we you know people the 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 sentiment around oh man like going back to the office yeah. and like having to you know communicate with people and have people you know enter my space unannounced to like mm. let me know something or you know yeah. that's a that's a that's a I, big anxiety I, for people to to navigate i didn't realize how intense and overwhelming that could be until I um, spent my first two weeks in, in isolation. And then I went to breakfast with you guys the the morning that I got out and, you know, like you two are probably like two of the people on this planet that I'm the most comfortable being around. And when we went to breakfast, I was like, Oh, I feel awkward and weird. And then for like weeks afterwards, I was like, Oh, maybe I think I'm an introvert. Like I'm pretty (laughs) sure I'm introverted, but then you know, after time went by and I started realizing like, oh man, I'm, I'm missing being out with my friends. I want to be out. I want to be out in public again. Yeah. Like, I want people to be around. I realized, oh no, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I was just not fucked used. up from yeah. that like isolation yeah. and yeah. not used to being around people that I felt that way. And I'm an extrovert. So like, <laughs> like I'm imagining what it would be like to be an introvert and then experience yeah. that it would be fucking. Yeah. So imagine if you really knew that, it we, that you could, that you had a resource to that was like a that helped you do that, that yeah. you are ba- like, you know what I mean? That you're yeah. going, I am having trouble navigating this yeah. re-entry. And imagine if you had access to it under your healthcare plan, or if there was programming that was accessible yeah. in the community that, you know, you didn't need funding because a public or private healthcare is a privilege in itself. Mm-hmm. Not many people have that. Yeah. And I, I can see how valuable that would be to, to have added to your 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 benefits soon. I mean, to be accessible for any anybody. But um, I think of like until I had health benefits at, at my other job, like having access to. I remember like first going to like regular mas- massage therapy and being like, yeah. "Whoa, fuck! I, have, I feel like, so knots good." In my back and shit that I never knew about. And like now I feel better because of this. And then then next it was like going to speak to a therapist. And I'd literally said at the end of my last therapy session a couple of days ago to my therapist, I was like. I don't know anymore how people who don't go to a therapist process the things that are going on in their lives. Because I mean, I didn't even have any specific trauma that I wanted to go and talk about, but like this has been going to therapy, which I've talked, I talk about all the time here is like one of the most, (laughs) one of the most profoundly life-changing things that I've been through. But that like really what that impacts for me is my mental health and how I talk about my feelings and how I process them. But if there was, access to if I had access to an occupational therapist it's like all of these other areas of my life yeah. too doing the things that I love and like being able to to understand and how you know, to maximize that like thing. we could work really closely OTs can work really really closely with psychologists and say mm. 
you know, this person, they would be helping you address what's within their scope of practice, but something within my scope of practice for somebody who's, let's say, living with like severe depressive symptoms. Mm-hmm. You know, let's set a goal today that you're going to get up and you're going to brush your teeth. Or you're going to put your feet on the floor. And that's a great place to start. Like, how can we get that? Like, how can we achieve a sense of accomplishment and then grow from there? Mm-hmm. So it's some of the, some OTs, like I said, are trained in like CBT. So OT would focus on the B where like a, a psychologist might focus on the, on the C. So like the cognitive mm-hmm. OT would focus on like the behavior right, and how right. that's impacted by the mental health. Interesting. One of the, like speaking of the, the, you know, workplaces fostering in a, a healthy workplace um, one of the interesting things here is that according to the um, Canadian Centre for Occupational Health and Safety, mm-hmm. there are 13 factors of, of a psychologically safe workplace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it'd be fun to kind of like go through these. Some of them are pretty self-explanatory, I think. Yeah. But some, some uh, I'm kind of like, oh, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, Maybe we can explain psychological safety first, too. Yeah, well, like sure. Psychological safety was, would be kind of, you know, again, protecting people from trauma where we're able to protect people from that. Mm-hmm. But how can we just create a place where people feel safe? Like people feel safe to do their job. People feel safe to come forward and ask mm-hmm. questions and they're not going to be judged. People feel safe to set boundaries and create barriers of saying, you know what, like my I get paid for 40 hours a week and outside of those 40 hours a week, I have a lot of other roles. Like I'm a I'm a mom or I'm a volunteer soccer coach or I'm a dog dad or mm-hmm. I like there's a lot of things that bring me meaning in my life outside of work and you need to be able to feel safe at your work to be able to communicate those. Mm -hmm. And as an OT, like, you know, somebody might be off of work and I'm helping them get back to work. I might be coaching somebody on like how to have these conversations or on the flip side, I could be working with employers to just create a better culture at work to create more openness. I nerd out about this stuff because we, at my other job, we, we measure psychological safety in Mm -hmm. companies and uh, it's like, it's incredibly powerful the impact that a psychologically safe safe work environment has on a company so it actually comes from guarding minds at work is where the like canadian center for occupational health and safety pulled those from and there's 13 factors like you said and a lot of them are pretty self-explanatory yeah so yeah so they're they're called psrs which are are, uh, uh, psychological risk factors Mm -hmm. um and 13 of these factors have been identified by researchers at simon fraser university based on extensive research and review of empirical data from national and international best practices. Um, so the first one is psychological support. It's pretty like yeah. self-explanatory. Uh, the second one, organizational culture. So, so I'm guessing that's like the, the importance of like the culture behind the organization. Yeah. And, and like how, you know, do we have a safe work culture? Do we have a culture where people feel like they can be engaged and people yeah. feel appreciated and people, you know, they, they enjoy going to work. Right, right. Uh, number three is clear leadership and expectations. Do you also. know what you're supposed to do all day? Because yep. if you don't know what's expected of you, that can create a lot of stress. Number four is civility and respect. That's a no-brainer. Yep. Uh, number five, psychological competencies and requirements. What so, is that? So how can we, like, is the match, is the job a good match for the person? And is the person a good match for the job? Because if you have, a, uh, yeah, if you have qualities, and I think there's something in there that says if, like, a subjective fit is almost better than an objective fit. Because if you feel like you have the qualities and the strengths and the tools to be good at this job, that's almost more powerful than having an objective fit where maybe you do have all those things, but you don't feel that way. Right, yeah. right. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, number six, growth and development. 
you have opportunity to grow. You're provided opportunity to further your education, climb the ladder, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Number seven, uh, recognition and reward. You're given a pat on the back. You did a good job today. I I always love a good pat on the back. Yeah. Uh, Number eight, involvement (laughs) and influence. Um, being able to have a say. People are a lot more invested and feel better at work and feel, you know, more engaged in what they're doing if they feel like they're a part of something bigger. Sure, right. Number nine, workload management. That's yes, that's an important one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, number 10, engagement. What's the difference between engagement and involvement and influence? I think they're kind of like, when I read them, I read them as one and the same. So like in- sure. engagement is just like, because you have all of those other things, you're more productively and effectively and happily engaging in the things that you need to do at work. You're, and because of that, you might be more productive or okay. you might be a better coworker. Number 11 is balance. I think that balance. makes a lot of sense. I love work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 12, psychological protection. So does that also kind of fall in line with psychological support? Well, I think psychological support, my understanding of psychological support is that you're providing, like companies provide an EAP program, like a employee assistance program, or they have some coverage where people can access counseling if they need it or support in any way, shape or form, maybe not direct counseling, um, but they can access the support they need to take care of themselves. Where I feel like psychological protection, as you said. Yeah, that's yeah. number 12. Where that one is kind of like, what we talked about earlier, where you're providing all of these things so people feel psychologically safe at work. And psychologically safe could just be, you know, I feel like I'm able to manage the stressors of my day. Got you. It doesn't have to be specifically related to trauma or anything like that. Sure, Mm -hmm. sure, sure. And then finally, the last one, 13, protection of physical safety. And that's pretty pretty self-explanatory. One of the most fascinating correlations between, um, or one of the most fascinating things I find about psychological safety is its correlation between an innovative company or not. Um, because if you don't, if you have a low psychological safety score as an organization, you will not be innovative because people don't feel safe bringing ideas forward. They don't feel like their ideas will be heard or that they'll have any influence or that, um, people will be invested in, in what they have to say. So, um, it's really interesting how psychological safety can like basically, if there, if you don't have psychological safety, it can destroy an organization very quickly and when people go off work for any reason so it could be you know they've sustained an injury at work um they've been off work for a few years because they had cancer and you know they're done their treatments and they're in remission they've had a mental health condition you know that they've been off work for a while being able to provide these psychological safety factors so the guarding mind at work 13 factors makes the workplace an easier place to transition back into and as an OT who kind of works in that world, I advocate for those things for those people. So I advocate mm. for balance. I could be saying, you know, we're going to go back to modified hours, modified duties. These are the current limits and restrictions. It could be cognitive limits and restrictions. It could be physical limits and restrictions. It could be, you know, social limits and restrictions about, you know, how we're interacting with the people mm. around us. But how can we get that person back? And if workplaces are able to provide those types of accommodations and able to provide a culture where that's accepted... It makes going back to work really easy. Mm-hmm. Not, I shouldn't say that it's not going back to work is not always easy, mm-hmm. but it's a lot easier. It'll when make you it feel easier. Easier, yeah. 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 What do you? What's your like? What's your your like five year, ten year plan? Like, where where would you like <laughs> to? Where would you like to go in in your own career with with occupational therapy? What would you like to like see yourself doing in the future? I would love to see myself working with other people to bring accessibility to our profession. So in the workplace, in the community, in schools, how can we create programming to give kids in school the tools they need to be resilient and to, you know, 
transition into the big scary adulthood with a better equipped tool belt? How can we create safer and more accessible workplaces? How can we like, I would love to work systemically. I love working with people. I'm chatty. I like people. I like being around people. But I often think that to make change, you need to start at like the grassroots level, like you're starting on the ground and then you you build and you build and you build and pervasive, like sustainable change doesn't happen until it happens systemically. Mm-hmm. And I want that to look like, you know, people having access to occupation based programming at community centers. So like seniors going to like healthy bones classes, they're getting out, they're socializing, they're decreasing their fall risk, um, you know, youth at risk, having after school programming to go to. How can we make that accessible? Because, you know, that will help with management, management of mental health and, you know, meeting goals and things like that. How can we create? I just I would like to work in a way that programming is accessible and people understand, like, the impact of proactive healthcare and occupational therapy can have on everybody's quality of life. This has been um, this has been this was not the conversation I thought we were going to have. <laughs> and I love it. it. It's been a real eye opener. Um, is need there, to hire an OT. We, I know, I know. That's like, that. <laughs> write that down. Uh, uh, is there, before we wrap up, is there anything that you wanted to share about uh, the profession of OT that you haven't had a chance to? I don't think so. I just, I really hope that people understand now, like, the difference that our profession can make in the quality of life of people, in the, you know, everyday occupational functioning of people, what we do, where we are, who we are, and hopefully, like, some people listen to this and like, wow. Now, I didn't know what an OT was until very recently. (laughs) And I wish that I knew it like 10 years ago because I, yeah, I hope that people know now. What I would have said, I would have said before that an occupational therapist is a problem solver. Now, I would say they're a superhero. Oh, Ryan. (laughs) The way, just the way that it came out of your mouth. With that, yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Amelia, for coming in and sharing no all this with us. This has been really fun. I've had fun too. Thanks, guys. Thank you. That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by... Myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.